Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, I'm Stephen. I'm one of the elders here at Revo Church, and it's uh, an honor to be with you. And this is a special time together around the communion table, the Last Supper, as we observe the elements together. And so I hope that you've prepared your hearts and your minds for this. Um, let me tell you something, though, before we get started into the communion. I get the opportunity to, to, to lead us in our sermon today and to observe communion with us together as a body of Christ. So I'm excited about this. Let me tell you something that happened a couple of weeks ago that was really surprising to me. I posted something on Facebook. I don't know why we're talking about social media so much today, Facebook and all this. But I posted something on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and it got a bazillion comments. That's right. I mean, a lot. Like, paragraphs upon paragraphs, all kinds of likes, comments, shares, you name it, it was happening on that thread. And uh, you know when you post something really important that really matters, and you post that on social media, it's going to get a whole lot of nothing, right? Crickets, nothing's going to matter, no one's going to like, comment, share. But if you post something stupid that has no significance at all, you're going to get a lot of feedback, right? That's how it works on social media. But this, this, this comment was just about who's the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't know why we're talking about this. We all know it's Michael Jordan. Hey, I don't want to hear the feedback. It's Michael Jordan. That was, we had a time for that on Facebook. We're not going to talk about that right now, but Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time. But man, let me tell you, people came out of the woods. People I hadn't spoke to since elementary school were all of a sudden commenting and messaging me, sending me links, other stats, and talking about some other guy and how he's better. And uh, it was just crazy. But it made me wonder, like, man, why in the world do we get so much interaction on that kind of stuff? And I think it's because there's this passion about sports in general, right? In sports, we get passionate, we cheer our team, we got our favorite players, and maybe just cheer for the color or the mascot. I don't know. But sometimes we just cheer, and we get animated, and we get passionate about things. And uh, it just uh, is really interesting how sports brings that out of us. And one of my favorite moments in sports, though, beyond the games, the players, the championships, all that stuff, one of the things I love about sports, it's a moment that actually happens pregame. It's actually the, the coach's pregame locker room speech. Anybody else love those moments? Anybody else watch those movies and get all fired up on those inspirational speeches? And you think it's the Bible, and it's like, yeah, let's go. I can't even make a layup. But uh, I love that. Let's do it. But the coaches, they give everything they've got. It's no more about the X's and O's, the plays, the strategies, anything like that. It's now all about the heart. I mean, they've practiced all week or all year for this one game, and it's the opportunity. I mean, it's too late now to work on, you know, any kind of defensive strategies or offensive plays, anything like that. Right now, you know what the coach is trying to do? He's saying, this is right before game time. I've got to get the best I can out of my players. I've got to do what it takes to bring out the best in them. And so he gives it all. He gives it everything he's got to inspire them. And if you want to be inspired, look no further than the coach's pregame locker room speech. And actually... Last winter, I had the privilege of doing one of these for a team. I was invited into a locker room. They knew I'd be really good at this. It was like my life calling that I never reached. But I got to do it one time, right? So I got invited to a locker room to give a speech to the basketball team. 
and get them hyped up, ready for the big game ahead. I mean, this is, everything's riding on this game. So I got to come in and do it. I was like, yeah, here we go. So I came in, I prepared what I had to say, and then I forgot all about what I was going to say, and I just went with it. You know how that goes. That won't happen today, no worries. Uh, but what we did was I just got down and I said, all right, guys, we got one game to prove everything. I'm talking about a few minutes to lay your life on the line. I don't want no whining and crying. I want you focused. I want you to give it everything you've got. We got 40 minutes for the rest of our lives. Woo! You know, if you say woo at the end, just people would say woo back, and everyone's hyped up, and who cares what you said? If you say woo, everyone's like woo, right? You know you guys are tempted to say woo right now. <laughs> but man, speaking of a pregame locker room speech, you know there was one that's been greater than any other one. There's a speech that someone gave that more, th more than anything else was on the line at this moment, and it was actually given by Jesus, believe it or not. It wasn't in a locker room, but it was in a room. And uh, it was right before, it wasn't a game, but it was game time, if you know what I mean. We're going to look in John chapter 13 this morning. And this is the moment right before, actually, the Lord's Supper that we're going to be observing today. Let's see what Jesus says. And this is the moment leading up to his upcoming death on the cross. He knows what's about to happen. And he's got one moment here. One opportunity to say something to his disciples. He's got them in a room. So let's, 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 let's dive into this room. Let's be a fly on the wall. Let's enter into John chapter 13, the moments before all this happens. And uh, let's, let's go into John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, It was just before Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So here we are, Jesus and his crew, they walk into the upper room restaurant, you know, that they had back then. And Jesus tells the hostess, table for 26, please. And the hostess is like, uh, one, two, three, 13 of you. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know, but we're all going to sit on the same side. I don't know who painted that. Nobody famous, apparently, right? Leonardo da Vinci. What is up with that painting? I don't even like to sit on the same side of the booth with my wife when we go out. That might just be weird and awkward, but 13 men. One of the funniest things I ever saw was five men riding in the front of a pickup truck together. That was awkward. That's weird, but 13 men. I don't know what's going on with this painting, but that's probably not how it looked and happened. Actually, it isn't. But as funny as that painting is in that moment, this is actually a really serious, intimate moment that Jesus is going to be having right here. This is just a few hours away before he's betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, brutally crucified. And the crazy thing is, he knows all of that is about to happen. And here we are. He knows that's just right around the corner, which means he also knows that this is the last chance that he has with his disciples, right? This pregame locker room speech that he's going to give them, everything's riding on this. There's a lot riding on this dinner, and he's got one chance to deliver the mission and the vision and everything that matters. Forget all the X's and O's. Forget everything else. I got to tell you something, guys, and here's where we are. Let's keep going. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Based on verse 3, it's safe to say that Jesus is a pretty big deal, right? I mean... Jesus is definitely the most important person in the room. Let's go ahead and call him the greatest of all time, the G-O-A-T, the GOAT, right? Jesus is the GOAT. Jesus was a big deal. This verse credits who he is. He has all the power. He came from God's returning to God. 
So what does someone like this do? Have you ever been the most important person in the room before? How did you act? What did you do? What did you say? How did you treat people around you? What happened next? We have such an opportunity when we have influence and impact on people's lives, whether that's at home, in the workplace, or just in the community, or with our friends, in a car ride, wherever it may be. We always have these opportunities. Jesus has one here. It states who he is. So, let's see what happens next. Verse 4 says, So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Okay, kind of weird. After that... He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Okay, I'm I'm just a little confused. There seems to be a disconnect between verse 3 and verse 4 and 5. Like, he's the greatest, most powerful person, and yet he does this. He washes feet. He used his own clothes to wash the nasty feet of 12 men. I thought he was the goat. I thought he's the greatest right? Verse 3 tells us who he is, so I think verse 4 would go something like this. He's the greatest, so he sat there and let everyone serve him. He's the most powerful, so he ate all the food. Went back for seconds, called dibs on anything else. I get dessert first over here, right? He's the leader, so everyone served him. He's about to return to God, verse 3. So he sat back and relaxed and enjoyed his last moments on earth. No, That's not what happened. That is not what Jesus does. He's the greatest of all time, so he gets down on his knees and washes his friend's feet. Mark 10, 45 goes right along with this. You see, Jesus was asked what his mission was, his statement. He said, you know what? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He stated his mission, and now he's demonstrating it right here. He's saying, I know that I'm the Lord, but I'm here to serve. I know that I'm supposedly the greatest one here, but let me show you something. I'm going to serve. Jesus showed that the, me- the measure of a man's greatness is not in how many servants he has, but in how many people that he serves. See, strength is not in our status. It's in our service. Do you, ever, do you think Jesus felt like serving in this moment? I mean, think about it. Where he's at right now in his life, what's going on, what's happening next. Do you think his spiritual gift was washing feet? <laughs> do you think he identified that with the Holy Spirit? Thank you, Lord, for the spiritual gift of washing feet. Here's how I'm going to do it. I just love washing feet. I have a foot fetish, in fact. You know, I'm just washing feet. I mean, this is no big deal. I love doing this. I know other people don't like it, but I like it. No, he's washing feet to say something here. I know. Did I just say Jesus had a foot fetish? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> But he is going to the extreme here. As weird as a foot fetish is, this is Jesus washing nasty, dirty feet. Why was he washing their feet? You know, oftentimes it's hard to do things when we don't understand the why. Like Jesus didn't have an obsession over feet or like this weird service aspect. He actually had a reason that transcended everything that he did. And that is why he fulfilled every single promise he ever made. Why he went all the way to, his, to the cross. It's so hard to do things, though, when we don't understand the why. Why was Jesus washing their feet? Why are you feeding the hungry on Sunday? Why are you giving to mission work? Showing up early on Sunday to welcome people? Why do you open your home for an R group? Prepare people to disciple others? Why are you working late to help your coworkers? 
Why do you go the extra mile for your neighbors? Why do you do that? It's easy to do it. It's really easy to do it when it's for people you like, when it works perfectly with our schedules, when it matches and aligns with everything else that we have going on. But what about when the people you're trying to serve and help turn on you? And they will, just like Judas. If you don't have the right why, if you don't have the right why, that's where it stops. Boom, you're done. You're out of the game. No more serving. But if you have the right why, you need a why to transcend all those things. And today I want to give you two reasons why we serve. Two reasons why Jesus was doing it and two reasons why every single person in this room, including myself, is called to serve. The first one is God created us to serve. Sometimes we look for all these extraneous reasons and why we need to serve, where we're going to serve, how we're going to do it, and try to line everything up. And we just forget that God's called us to do it. God created us to serve. Verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, please. You know Peter probably has some nasty stank feet. He's like, bro, you don't want to touch my feet. He's like, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. I don't even wash those things. He's like, where's the servant? Come on, where's that guy? Go get him. Where's the servant? Lord, you don't want to wash my feet. Peter didn't understand why Jesus is about to wash his feet. Keep in mind, remember who he's calling Jesus here? He's saying, Lord. Lord and washing feet. That doesn't seem to go together, but Jesus puts them together. He's saying greatness. He's saying leadership. And washing feet are hand in hand. And Peter's saying, no, 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 where's the servant? See, washing feet was a, a job for the servant. People walk around outside with open-toed shoes all day, around the animals, outside in the mud, the dirt. You come in, and that's a servant's job. If you're lucky to have a servant, here's Jesus, and that's why Peter's confused. It's not just because it's something gross to do, but it's because of who is doing it. You know, before I was a parent, I never changed a diaper in my life. Never once changed a diaper. Couldn't get me to. I saw some babies, and I'm like, no, no part of that. And I didn't even know if I'd be able to do it when I had, had a baby. All of a sudden, I had a little boy and another, and I am like king of the diaper duty. I'm diaper duty dad, changing diapers all the time. That's my job. It's all I do. And you know what? It wasn't that I just was passionate about changing diapers. Oh, I can meet needs in the city. Here we go, you know, changing diapers. No, you know what it was? I was a dad. It's what I was created to do, change diapers. My boy can't do it. It's time for me to rise up and do it. I was just created to change diapers in this moment. Sometimes obedience is as simple as knowing what you were created for. Why are we serving? It's because what God created us for. And if you're searching, for that perfect opportunity, it's never going to come. Let's look at verse 10. Jesus answered, he said, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Man, I don't, don't, don't skip over this for a second, guys. He knew who was going to betray him. And what is he doing? He's washing that dude's feet. The guy who is about to betray him. If you are looking for the perfect person to serve, you ain't going to find it. If you're looking for the perfect time, it ain't going to happen. 
If you're waiting around for the perfect opportunity, some alignment with my schedules, my personality, my opportunities, and all that, you know what? You'll just be standing over here waiting forever in the sidelines because it doesn't happen like that. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Doesn't seem like something that someone's passionate about. He's washing the feet of someone who's about to betray him. Don't get picky and choosy about who we're going to serve sometimes. You never know what God's going to do in moments through serving people. Don't be selective in your serving. If you're searching for that perfect opportunity, it's never going to come. Look at verse 12. He said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place at the table. And then he says this, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Do you understand what I have done for you? Let's take a moment and put yourself at that table and realize that Jesus is asking you the same question. Do you understand what I've done for you? You see, Jesus is doing more than washing feet. There's a lot of symbolism as to what he's doing here to his ultimate body being broken, his blood spilled out, his ultimate death on the cross. He's saying, if, 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 if you don't accept me washing you, then you'll have no part with me. And there's a lot of symbolism going on between what he's doing here and washing their feet, washing their sins. The Lord is the only one who can do it and people who don't deserve it in our own sins. And there's symbolism going on. He's saying, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you realize that I, verse 3, the Lord, the one whom the Father has given all power, has come from God, has returned to God, just did for you? I served you. Because that's why I came. That's the reason why we're doing what we were created for. But the reason that we don't often do what we were created for, there's a big problem. And maybe you can uh, identify this, is that we value status over service. See, we think we were created for status. We were created to be something, known for something, be something. We want to post, say, posture, and be everything. It's really hard, really hard to serve when you're more concerned about your own status. Jesus' focus was on others, not his own status. It says he's the Lord. See, greatness is about the willingness sometimes to just get up and grab a towel, find some feet, meet needs, use your own resources. You know what our city needs? You know what it doesn't need? Our city needs a demonstration of service, not status. We've got enough people claiming to be stuff, posturing, posing, acting, pushing other people down. But you know what would change the city? You know what would change your workplace? You know what would change your home? You know what would change your own life? You want to change this world? Greatness is about the willingness to serve. See, strength is in serving, not in status. And God created us to serve. That's why he came. That's what we do. But the quest to be recognized appreciated, respected, known for what we're doing, you know what that leads to? That leads to burnout. That leads to quitting because it doesn't happen. When we, as soon as we don't get what we want, we built a contract over why we're serving and here's the stipulations. And when it doesn't happen, guess what? Contract is broken, no more serving. But we're created to serve. So we can't do it for other people. We do it for God. God created us to serve. In verse 13, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Here we go. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Now that I've washed your feet, you go wash their feet. Jesus has washed our feet. 
it's time for us to wash others. What are we doing to get busy and active into what God's called us to do? You see, here's the second reason of why we serve is that simply Jesus saved us to serve. God created you to serve. Jesus says, I've saved you to serve. Now that I have washed your feet, you wash other people's feet. God has things for you to do in the city, in your life, around town, that you may not understand the meaning to. And if we only serve what we're desiring, we'll miss out on what we're created for. We'll miss out on what Jesus saved us from. If you're serving to serve people, you're going to quit. If you're serving because it's part of what you're created to be, then it really doesn't matter what people say or do. It doesn't matter if they treat you like a doormat because you were saved to serve. Last three verses here says, verse 15 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, we don't do good things so that we can be saved. We were saved so that we can do great things. Serve because of what Jesus did for you. Remember, later on Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Why are we doing this? Because we know that Jesus saved us to do exactly this. Why would I give my time? Why would I give my energy? Why would I give my resources? It makes no sense. But that's what Jesus saved me for. See, salvation is just the beginning of our step with Christ. He then says it's time for us to work out our salvation. That does not mean that we're saved. Uh, works lead to salvation. It says you're saved and now do the works. Work it out. Grow. Make it happen. Develop your relationship with the Lord. Do as Christ like Christ did. Why does, why does, why does our production team get here at 6.30 a.m. every Sunday? Why do people show up to... Get the chairs lined up, vacuum, set the tables, get everything going. Why does our, our band show up at 7 a.m. every Sunday and, and rehearse? Why, why do people volunteer? Why do people open up their homes? Why do we do things? If it's for status, if it's for recognition, then we're never going to do what God called us to do. We'll never be a part of what God truly intended. And here's the problem. We have so many things that we know that we were saved from, but we're still entangled with them. See, Jesus saved us to serve, but you know why we don't? Because we're entangled with so many other things. It becomes really practical. We don't have time for serving. We don't have a place for it. When am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? Where am I going to do it? Who am I going to do it for? But guess what? Our lives are entangled with so many other things that are outside of God's calling for our life that is keeping us from doing what God's called us for. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't get entangled with things outside of things that were from the Father. What if Jesus got too busy for people? Man, what if he got distracted? You know, a committed person doesn't get themselves entangled with things that are not essential to their calling of what God's called them to do. Are you entangled today with things outside of God's will? What are those entanglements? You know, it's not always direct sin, but it's things keeping you from God, like being too busy, not having enough time, filling our schedules up with so many other things. You have to learn to say no to things, and it's so easy to say no to things when we understand why we're saying no and why we say yes to things. Remember the why. 
Ask God what he wants to do now that you have this new mindset. You see, Jesus gets down and he says, I, I'm washing your feet. Come here, let, let, let me get that. Let me wash another feet. And he goes through the room and he washes all their feet. And this is what he wanted them to remember. This is the pregame locker room speech. This is what's supposed to inspire them. And he says, I'm going to serve. And now, here's the message. I want you to serve. I want you to serve. Just as I and the Lord and teacher have done for you, now you go and do those things to others. That's the message. That was the challenge. And I guarantee you, Jesus thought long and hard, long and hard over this moment right before the Last Supper, the crucifixion. He made it loud and clear that his followers, we can't look anything like him without serving like him. One of the best ways to say I'm Christ-like, to be like Jesus, you know what that is? Just serving. Be like Christ. That's what he said he came to do. Is that what you're here to do? Is that what your weakest is filled up for? Is that what you're called to do? Is that what you're created for? Is that what you're saved for? Maybe it's time to remove this, the quest for status. Maybe it's time to remove the entanglements that we have. Let's live out what God's called us to. In just a moment, we're going to be taking communion. And this is an opportunity where it's a demonstration of, of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. The bread, his body broken for us. The ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life. The juice here, it represents the blood and how his blood was shed and needed to be in order to pay for the penalty of sin. See, Jesus wasn't the one who deserved this. This didn't match with his schedule. This wasn't his desire. In fact, you want to, you want to know something? I guarantee you if I said right now that half the people in this room want to quit, I'd say that's an underestimation. I think we all want to quit at times, some more often than others. And you know what? Here's the good thing. Jesus wanted to quit. That's right. I, you said, Jesus wanted to quit. Right before the soldiers come, Judas betrays him, sells him out for 30 pieces of silver and comes and gets him. You know what, you know what Jesus is doing? He's praying. And he's saying, God, remove this cup from me. God, is this the only way? Do I have to do this? And then he says, I don't want to. But, but, your will, not mine. His obedience to the Father was his why. He was serving not always because it was right timing or because he was equipped for it. He was doing it out of obedience to Christ. And today, we serve Sometimes just because it's in obedience to him. Jesus is telling us, I have washed your feet. Now go wash one another's.